Hi, I'm Kevin. Welcome to Maison Mission. This is episode number 26. Maison Mission is an inclusive faith community. The word Maison comes from a Greek word that means greater. The Maison Mission is about finding greater spaces for people to hear and experience the good news of Jesus. You can find out more about Maison Mission by visiting MaisonMission.com or through the links in the description of this program. Good morning and welcome to Maison Mission. We are glad that you're joining us on Facebook, YouTube, or on your favorite podcasting app. This is the second week of a series called The Heart. And last week, we looked at the heart of God for the world. And if you missed it, it's not too late to go back and give it a listen. I want to start this morning with a question. Have you ever been placed on a team with a person or maybe even a few persons that you would not have chosen to be on the same team with. Do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe you were a kid and the roster for the cheerleading squad or the baseball or the softball or the soccer team came out and there was that person, that person. I mean, if it was like the jury pool where lawyers get to strike a potential juror you would have totally struck that person off of the team. I was thinking about this and was reminded that there was actually a kid on my soccer team named Brandon. I don't think there's any chance in the world that he will ever see this, but I guess enough time has passed that it would probably be okay. But he had it out for me, and I felt like my position. And he would just hack the crap out of me in practice. I mean, he would just go after my legs. Uh, I mean, it was like he wanted to hurt me so he could have my position. And I remember we went at it a couple times in practice and had to be separated. And I'm sure if the coach would have gone to Brandon and said, you can pick one person on this team and and I'll kick him off. I have no doubt that he would have picked me. And I can promise you right now that if I had been given the same opportunity, it would not have taken me a, a moment to know who I didn't want to be on my team. But this is not just a kid thing, right? This happens at work. It happens in organizations. It happens in school. Heck, I mean, sometimes it happens within families. I remember a group project that I had in grad school that went completely sideways. Do you remember these, whether it was uh, high school, maybe college, these group projects, they were such a crapshoot. And when the, the teams or the groups were assigned, we thought that we had a dream team. And it was mostly great except for one person. And the irony is, this is the person who came up with the initial idea for our project, but then did absolutely nothing else the entire time. And this person was irate when the peer, evalu- the peer evaluations uh, came in, and it affected her grade enough that she received the only B that she received in the entire program. And she was furious, all right? And this person was furious. They appealed the grade 
all the way up to the president of the university. Holy moly. Things were dicey when groups were formed after that because the rumor mill worked and people knew what had happened. And if I'm completely honest, sometimes we end up in the same church or even a, a small group or a Bible study group with these people that we just wouldn't pick to be in the same group with us. I've served in several churches over the last 20 years, and there is sometimes even a term for people like this behind the scene. They, they're called EGRs, or Extra Grace Required. And the truth is, sometimes it could even be us who is the EGR. We are the people who need some extra grace. It's not always somebody else. And, and there are all kinds of reasons for these type of situations. Sometimes we just don't click with certain people. Some people are extra opinionated or they come on too strong for our liking. They're control freaks. Maybe they shoot down everyone else's ideas. It happens. So what do we do? What do we do with these relational rubs? Do we passively, aggressively find ways to make sure that we don't end up with these people? These people that hold uh, different opinions? These people that vote for the wrong political candidate? That aren't maybe as socially justice-minded as us who are too liberal or who are too conservative? So what is the heart of God when it comes to this? Does he want uniformity? Does he want unity? Does he want both? Does he want neither? What's the deal? Because uniformity and unity are not the same thing. And I think if we were to try to figure this out, what does God want for his church, for his people? And we decided to pick a hundred random churches to attend and become involved in. I, I'm afraid that we may walk away with the idea or the belief that God is looking for uniformity of thought, of belief, of the theology, of politics, of philosophy. And there, there are so many, many churches that will lay out a system that the real Christians or the ones who are serious about their faith need to adhere to in order to fit within that particular church or that particular denomination or sometimes even God's kingdom. There's a problem with this. And the problem with this is it doesn't line up with Jesus. It doesn't line up with his early followers, his disciples, or even the early church that we read about in the, in the letters that were written and passed around 2,000 years ago. And I'm going to ask that if you have a Bible, that you turn to, to Matthew chapter 10. And if you don't have one, don't worry about it. These verses will be on the screen. And I'm going to admit that these four verses can seem pretty boring. I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to skip over lists of names when I come to them in Scripture. It's like, ah, there's a bunch of names. I'm just going to skip it and get to the real action, right? But this list of names is revealing. It's revealing of, of God's heart. It's revealing of who he is willing to use to accomplish his purposes, to spread the good news that God is available through Jesus to everyone, everywhere, no matter what.
And maybe to us, 2,000 years ago, these are just names. Or 2,000 years later, <laughs> rather, these are just names. But perhaps no one except Jesus could have assembled these 12 men and expected anything other than a, a dumpster fire, a complete disaster. It's almost like Jesus played the role of a producer of a reality TV show and intentionally cast some participants or characters or, or chose 12 men that would clash and, and create some natural drama. Now, I don't think he really did that, but let's, let's read these verses and then we're going to dig in just a little bit. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So we've got this list of names, all right? So we start out with Peter, James, John, and Andrew. These guys were, were all fishermen. They, they weren't exactly top of their class. They hadn't been picked up by any other rabbis to, to follow uh, as a student into a, adulthood. So they were kind of the B team, the junior varsity. But uh, they were a fairly safe pick uh, by Jesus. Then there was Philip. We know that he was believed to be a fisherman as well. It's interesting, as I was going through these names, there's a couple of James. And one, James, is pretty much known as the brother of Jude. <laughs> and that, we don't hear a whole lot more about him. But we know that Jude lived in Galilee. Uh, well, we know that they both lived in Galilee. Jude was known for three names. Jude, Thaddeus, or Lebius. Son of Alphaeus or Cleophas and Mary. And I read this about him. By character, he was an intense and violent nationalist with the dream of world power and domination by the chosen people. In the New Testament, in, in fact, in John chapter 14, he asks Jesus at the Last Supper, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? He was interested in making Christ known to the world, not as a suffering savior, but as a conquering king. And so here's a, a guy that Jesus selected for his 12 men who were going to take this message worldwide and, and spread it all, all over for all of eternity. And it's someone who disagreed with Jesus fun, fundamentally about what his kingdom should even look like. Then there's Nathaniel, also called Bartholomew. Uh, he is one that is believed to have some, some royalty in his blood. He was educated, believed to be a religious researcher. And this guy had to wonder what in the world he was doing in this group with some, some fishermen, uh, a nationalist. And then we come to Matthew, the tax collector. I have yet to meet anyone in America today that, that loves that date in April where you have to file your taxes, you have to send in money. Uh, nobody, nobody likes that. But it was a whole nother level of hate back in the New Testament time. Of all the nations in the world, the Jews were the most vigorous haters of tax collectors. 
To the devout Jew, God was the only one to whom it was right to pay tribute in taxes. To pay it to anyone else was to infringe on the rights of God. And so the tax collectors were hated not only on religious grounds, but because most of them were notoriously unjust. They would have been regarded by the Jews as a criminal. So Jesus is putting together this team of of Jewish folks, and he adds to the team a person that they would have seen as a criminal. They would have just automatically hated this man. And then you have Simon the Zealot. We don't know much about him except that he was a zealot. And he fell into that fanatical Jewish nationalist group. Um, He had a heroic disregard for the suffering uh, involved in the struggle for what they regarded as the purity of their faith. The zealots were crazed with hatred for Romans. And it was this hate for Rome that destroyed the city of Jerusalem. The historian Josephus says that the zealots were reckless persons, zealous in good practices, and extravagant and reckless in the worst kind of actions. And so he's got some fishermen. He's got somebody that's of royal nobility, that's educated. He's got some nationalists, some some violent folks. And so we can see that Simon was, was a fanatical nationalist, devoted to the law, but he had a bitter hatred for anyone who would compromise with Rome. And it's interesting, after all is said and done, he emerged as a man of, of faith. He got over his differences, uh, especially with Matthew, the tax collector, and gave his life for the cause of Christ. Then we have Thomas. He's kind of known as the the Eeyore of the group. He was the doubter. I think he gets a little bit of a bad rap. He wasn't there the first time that Jesus uh, appeared to the disciples uh, after his death and resurrection, but that's kind of what he's known for. And then there's Judas, who is known as a traitor. And so these are the 12 men that Jesus chose to take this message to the world. The blue collar, the white collar, the nationalist, the tax collector, the despised. And so Jesus assembles this group of guys that by all accounts should have self-destructed. They should have imploded. They should have fought amongst themselves. They should have blown it. We shouldn't have the message today based on the 12 that Jesus chose. And were they perfect? No, (laughs) they weren't perfect. It seems like most of the time that Jesus would pull them aside and give them a teaching, they didn't understand it. At one time, he, he basically asked them, like, are you so slow that you still aren't getting it? They lobbied for position within the 12, and they thought that he was setting up a traditional kingdom with the traditional ways of wielding power. But these 12 somehow made it work. And while we don't have really a single verse or a story that tells us how it happened, the way the story plays out help us realize that it did happen. Because after Jesus' death and resurrection, after the arrival of the Holy Spirit, these guys set aside, all except for Judas, all their personal ambitions and found their point of commonality, Jesus. And when you read through the history of each of these men, almost every one of them gave their lives 
for the cause of Jesus. They matured. They transformed. They grew beyond who we knew them to be when Jesus picked them and did something far, far greater for something far, far greater than just themselves. And I can kind of hear you thinking, well, that's awesome, Levi. That, that's great. It worked out. But it's, it's a lot easier to sit there and preach about it than it is to actually do it, to actually live it out. You don't understand. I've got some people in my life, I didn't choose for them to be there, but they are there and they drive me crazy. No, I get it. I get it. I'm, I'm not immune to it in my own life. And there are two practices that have helped me immensely is I have tried to walk out this way of living in unity, which is not uniformity. I don't have the same beliefs. I don't have the same philosophies. I don't have the same politics. I don't have the same everything as, as anyone, right? I, it's just, it doesn't work that way. Life doesn't work that way. But there, there are two things that have helped me as I've tried to live this out. The first is this. I work very hard to remind myself that there is more to this person than our place of disagreement. Okay, I was having a conversation with someone uh, about a year ago, nine months to a year ago, and we were talking about a very controversial topic, and we were on opposite sides uh, of this topic. And we batted it back and forth. It never got heated. It, it stayed very, very calm. And at the end, this person I was talking with said, why can't we have more conversations like this where, where we disagree. We're not going to change either side's mind about the issue, but we just talk it out and we, we walk away and we're still friends. And they said something to the, the effect of like, well, if you hold that opinion and I hold this opinion, like, how are you still my friend? And I looked at this person and I said, there is so much more to you and our relationship than this point of disagreement. I have seen so many things in your life that I appreciate. I've seen your generosity. I've been a recipient of your generosity. And this doesn't define you in my eyes, this thing that we disagree about. You are so much more than just this place of disagreement. So what I would say to you is if you are in this place Maybe you're in a church, maybe it's in your work, maybe it's somebody in your family, and you have this, this point of intersection where you are on opposite sides of the fence. I encourage you to find within yourself the ability, ask for God to give you the grace, the, the mercy to see this person as more than their stance on this issue. Okay, because we're all created in the image of God. We are way more than our belief about a certain thing. All right, so it's helped me to remember that people are more than the thing that we disagree about. And the second is this. I've worked hard to find commonality with people. Not only are they more than what we disagree about, there, there is commonality in our lives. Maybe we're both parents. Maybe we're both struggling at work. Maybe we have a, a same hobby or something that, that we enjoy doing. Like find the thing or a couple of things that, that we have in common and focus on that. 
build relationship around that because if the relationship always comes back to this point of disagreement, it's going to be hard to see this person is more than that and to find the commonality that we have as humans and treat each other with dignity and respect. Dignity and respect. Now, I'm not talking about someone who has like criminal uh, opinions, right? That, that oppress or, or hold people down. I, I'm not talking about that. Sometimes in, in situations where it's way more than just a rub, but it's causing harm to other people, we pray for those people, right? We pray for those people and pray that God would uh, change their hearts. But, but God's heart really is for unity. It's not for uniformity. There is way too much uniformity in our culture today. It's just not the heart of Jesus. We see it in the 12 men that he picked out. They, they were not uniform, but they found a unity. They found their commonality in Jesus. They agreed to agree on Jesus, and they were on Team Jesus. There is room for you. There is room for me. There is room for that person that we don't agree with on Team Jesus because the heart of God is for unity. Let's pray. God, forgive us. Forgive us when we are pulled um, into the whirlpool of uniformity into this idea that we have to agree on everything with the people that we are around and that we can cancel or just toss to the side relationships that we've held for a long time because we disagree on a certain thing. Father, remind us that that each of us are created in your image, that we are image bearers of you. May we give grace. Uh, may, may we expect that, that you are still working and transforming and, and maturing people all along the way, even people who seem to be far, far away from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a few reminders before you go. Our Maison in real life gathering will be today. Join us at Jonesville Park at 4 p.m. Kids can play on the playground, we can hang out and visit together, and we're going to share in a time of communion. Bring your own food if you'd like, and join us for just a great time of hanging out. We'll see you there. Get ready for Maison Live. Maison Live will be a once a month family church experience where we sing some songs, share in communion, hear a short message, and actually see each other live in person. Save the date. Our first Maison Live is tentatively scheduled for Sunday evening, July 25th. We can't wait to see you. Maison Mission is a non-denominational church. These programs and conversations are only possible through the financial support and donations from people like you. If our program encouraged you today, consider supporting the Maison Mission with a one-time gift or on a recurring basis. You can give through MaisonMission.com and follow the link to give. You can also text the dollar amount to 84321 and follow the links to Maison Mission. We'll also be displaying our giving links on a slide at the conclusion of this program. Thanks so much for tuning in.